Well, this morning I want to start a new series that's been on my mind for the last uh, about a last month or six weeks, and it's entitled the One Series. It's just a short series, but to start with, we'll be reminded of the One and Only. Then we'll hear about the one who found the one, and then we'll hear about the one who shared the one. And I hope that as you're here this morning, I don't know about you, but it's been a crazy couple of weeks. Maybe you've experienced that. And uh, I know that even Friday night at our men's dinner, you know, the one thing that I had to remind myself of over and over in the last couple of weeks is when you're tired and exhausted, both physically and mentally, what do you do? And you got to just keep going, right? You, I mean, there's no break in sight. You don't have a vacation coming up. What do you do? And what God reminded me of was the passage in 1 Samuel, and that's not where we're going to be this morning. But in 1 Samuel, starting around chapter 16, you find out that Saul had made some poor choices, and those poor choices had some severe consequences. And we also know that David was anointed to be the next king of Israel. There's only one problem. Saul wasn't giving it up, and he hadn't been given heir to, hadn't been given the throne just yet. And as I shared with the guys Friday night, it seems like from that point on, it was just turmoil and more turmoil and more turmoil. And uh, David's living on the run. He's been living in caves and thickets and woods and in the grass and anywhere he and his men could hide. And Saul's men is pers- are, are pursuing him. And finally, as you know the stories, I've preached on this in the past, but it gets to the point where David is just exhausted, maybe even depressed, maybe even just out of energy, just no hope, and all he wants to do is just go home, right? I don't know about you, but there's nothing like going home, right? Anybody anybody ever traveled and you just wish for your own bed, right? I don't care how bad your bed may be, it's better than the one you're borrowing. I mean... Right, So you want to get home, you want to get in your own bed. And uh, so David wants to just get home. And so he finally you know, makes his way to Ziklag. And there's only one problem. When he gets home, home's not there. It's been destroyed by fire. And as he looks around, everything he has is gone. His family's gone. His wives, kids, children, they're all gone. And really, at this point, David only has one thing left. One. Physically speaking. And that's the friends that had come to his aid. That small band of warriors that stuck with him through thick and thin. And at that point, when they get home and it's been burnt down, their families are all taken away. Their spoils are, I mean, there's nothing left. The one thing he has left physically is now gone. Because they said, David, this is your fault. You know, we're good to follow you. We're good to protect you. But now that our family and homes are gone, this is your fault. And they spoke of stoning him. What do you do? What would you do if you're in David's shoes? Let's bring this into 2019. Get on Facebook. I can't believe my friends are abandoning me. Let the whole world via Facebook know and Instagram and Snapchat. And, you know, let everybody know that things are not going good. And what does David do that we can all learn from? Verse 6, chapter 30, verse 6. He says, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. When you can't do anything else, that's what we need to do. 
1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. Because there are going to be times when no one else is around that can encourage you. Your closest friend has got struggles of their own. The person that you want to be with is thousands of miles away. What do you do? We have to go back to God. Where we should have been all along. And that's kind of what I want to draw our attention to this morning. Is God. The one. The only. And really God's word reminds us. And it's, I think sometimes, I'll, I'll, I'll say I do. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're better than me. In the beginning, God. If you say nothing else, if you think nothing else, in the beginning, God. Isn't that crazy? Think about that. In the beginning. We can't even fathom beginning. We have a start date and we'll have an end date. There will be a day when this product will expire. But you had a starting point and you'll have an end point. But in the beginning, God, God always was, always is, always will be. And that's hard to fathom. That He created heaven and earth. And the only reason any one of us or anything exists is because of God. And because He willed it to be so. He's God. Why? In Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Our Lord, our God... You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things. And because of your will, they they exist and were created. The only reason we have any existence, the only reason we can see anything around us is for one reason. God willed it. Isn't that amazing? Think if he hadn't created mankind. It has still been perfect. Whatever he created would have been perfect. But can you imagine, according to verse 2, in the beginning, God, but verse 2, he had a blank slate. I mean, it was completely open canvas to do whatever he wanted to do with it. And guess what he chose to do with it? Think about that. Not only the creation as we know it, but mankind. He had a blank blank canvas, according to Psalm 90, verse 2. So he began to create, and you know what God's word says? It was good. I don't know about you, but I don't even think we fathom what good is. I mean, of all the man-made things that try to duplicate something that is not man-made, they fail. We have artificial hearts, and they are wonderful, but they're not as good as the original. You have artificial limbs. I lived with a dad who had a fake leg. And as funny as it is, for years after he had his leg amputated, he still feel the itch, the scratch, the desire to, boy, it's itchy. And there's nothing there but a fake leg that he stuck his nub into, as we called it. It's not as good as the original. No matter what man can make, it's not as good as what God could make. But when he made man, he said it was what? No, not good. Very good. I mean, he took it up a notch. It wasn't just good, it was very good. There was something different about this creation. Well, as I say every once in a while, you're going to have to hang on because I'm going to jump around a little bit this morning as I do from time to time. But I want you to get a glimpse of how great God is. How great He is. Because sometimes we lose sight of that. 
I'm going to put myself in this in this box. Jumping in at both feet. My whole self is in it. We forget. I forget who God is. Why? Because we get up every morning and we do what we have to do. We get up, we take a shower, most of us, some of you should. Um, get your clothes on, just saying. Get your clothes on and you go about your day. But do we really contemplate this is another day of life, another day of breath, another day of health, another day to praise God, another day to worship Him, another day to share Him with others? Do we, or do we just kind of just go throughout the day without really even thinking about it? Oh, we might give the, you know, the courtesy nod, the courtesy prayer. But do we really think about it? Do we dwell on Him? Do we spend time with Him? As the psalmist says, as a deer pants for the water, does our soul pants for him? I think we don't. No, I'm, like I say, I'm just preaching to me now. Because I get busy. Maybe you do too. And life happens. I'm amazed as I was able to go back home for the weekend to see people I hadn't seen in 20 years, 15 years. What happened? Life. Every day. One foot in front of the other. Another day, another week, another month, another year. Things that used to be important to us are not as important now because we've got new things that are important to us now that, are not, that weren't back then. And where did the time go? It just happens. And it happens in our spiritual life too. Some of us can remember the day we got saved and we were real excited about it. Remember how great God was. Remember how exciting it was to finally have that weight lifted off your shoulders. You remember what, what used to hold you captive. Now you've been set free, and, but now that's old news. God did that. You're so grateful, so appreciative of it, but you've lost that zeal. Because you haven't been dwelling with God. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8 says this. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. The one who is, who was, and who is coming, the Almighty. He is coming back. He is the Almighty One. He's the beginning, the end. Have we forgotten? Then if you go to the end of the chapter, chapter 22, and verse 13, he says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He knows all things. He always was. He always is. He always will be. He's God. First, last, beginning, end. In Isaiah chapter 44. In verses 6 and 8, he says this. This is what the Lord, the King of Israel, and its, redeem and its Redeemer, the Lord of the hosts says, I am the first, I am the last. There is no God but me. Goes on and says, who like me can announce the future? Let him say so and make a case before me. Says, I have established an ancient people. Let these gods declare the coming things and what will take place. And notice as he says there, it's a small g. There are numerous gods. And before we get too critical, we have our gods too. Think about that for a moment. 
anything that gives that we give more time or priority to, more attention to, has the potential of becoming an idol and a god in our life. It can be a job, it can be a hobby, it can be a relationship, it can be a uh, something that you want to do for week in and week out. But anything that we give more time and attention and focus and energy to has the potential of becoming an idol and a god in our own lives. Ask ourselves this question. What is it that we give our time, our attention, our focus, our energy to right now? More than God. You say, well, am I just supposed to walk around all day and say, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord. Oh, God, I love you so much. And just spend our 24-7 doing that? No. But what I am saying is that in everything, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lead not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways, What? acknowledge him do we acknowledge him in everything from the time we get up in the morning lord thank you for another day i'm guilty this is this last couple weeks has been a reminder to me i need that and so do you we need to acknowledge him in everything as we go to work i don't know about you but does anyone like authority is anyone just like thank god for authority yes can't wait to bow down to somebody's stupid command today. No, we hate authority. It's, it, it naturally goes against us. When someone tells us to do something, especially the powers that be, the infamous they, who say we have to do things this way, and we know better it works better this way. But they have their policies, the procedures. We don't like it. And we say, God, I'm about to go to work. I'm going to have to deal with some people that don't think straight. God, I need your help today. Or do we just go and get into a big argument? That's real, isn't it? That's real. Or maybe you've never had this before, but have you ever, and my kids are perfect, just so you know, I'm just telling you, that you ever tell your children to do something, they just want to do something else? I mean, yours, I know yours never do that, but, right? I, my kids aren't here, so not all of them. So, what about it? What is, what is it about your day that you fail to acknowledge God in? That you really should be acknowledging God in? Your spouse? Say, not you. you got a perfect marriage. You never have an argument. As my grandma said, you never have a tiff. Right. Your marriage is perfect. You say, well, praise God, I'm not married. <laughs> A few of you in that boat. What is it that you are failing to acknowledge God in? What decisions do you have to make? What, what, what decisions are around the corner that you need to be acknowledging God in? Or do you just got that taken care of? He goes on to say here, verse 8, Do not be startled or afraid, have I not told you, and declared it long ago. You are my witnesses. Is there any God but me? There is no other rock. I do not know any. He says, if there's another God that can do it better, let him make a case for himself. And we'll acknowledge it. But since there is no other God, small g, making a case, better know this, I'm the one and only. So acknowledge me. He's the creator. The first, the last, beginning, the end. And he desires for us to be a part of him in his life. How do I know that? Deuteronomy chapter 4. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, in 
and verses, so I can find it here, 35, 4 verse 35 says, You were shown these things so that you would know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides Him. Everything that God did, everything that God does, is for one reason. So that you and I might see that He is Lord. That He is God. No other reason. If you look at verse 39, he says this, Today, recognize and keep in mind that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. He says it over and over and over again. He is God. There is no one else. And we're to acknowledge Him. And then he goes on in chapter 32. Thirty-two and verse thirty-nine. See now that I alone am He. There is no God but Me. And listen to this. He says, "I bring death and I give life. I wound and I heal. No one can rescue anyone from My hand." That's a pretty powerful God. I, I had to read that twice. The first part I get. See now that I alone am He. There is no God but me. I bring death and I give life. If we were to stop right there and say, yes, praise God. But then read on. I wound and I heal. Why would God say that He wounds? Think about that just for a minute. I'm not saying I have the perfect answer here. But I would say this. Without the wounds, we don't look to God for healing. And sometimes we are so busy looking everywhere but to God, even in our wounds. And God is saying, hey, right here, here I am. Focus. Focus. I can remember as a seventh grader, my dad would often, as he taught me how to respect people and to look people in the eye, he would gently look, look down at me and he would take my chin and lift it up for me to focus on him. I think that's what wounds do. It's God saying, look at me. I'll heal this. But you've got to look to me. You can't look anywhere else. You've got to look to me. So he says, I wound and I heal. And no one can rescue anyone from my hand. When we are in God's hands, <laughs> there is no greater security than that. So why in this life would we look everywhere but to the one who gave us life? Crazy, isn't it? And then he goes on in 2 Samuel. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. and verse 22. He says, This is why you are great, Lord God. There is no one like you. And there is no God beside you. As all we have heard confirms. I mean, as he's talking to the Lord, he's saying, God, there is no one like you. There is no other God. He goes on in 2 Kings. Chapter 5 and verse 15. Then Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God, stood before him and declared, I know there's no God in the whole world except in Israel. Therefore, please accept a gift from your servant. What would it take for us to be convinced 
that there's no other God. He was convinced, and he was willing to proclaim that. I wonder how often we're convinced like that. Convinced enough to put our reputation, as it were, on the line. And remember, he says in Romans, if you're ashamed of me, I shall be also be ashamed of you in the coming day. Why is it that we don't stand up with force, with passion, and proclaim who our God is? He goes in First Chronicles chapter 17 and verse 20. He says this, Lord, there is no one like you, and there is no God beside you, as all we have heard confirms. Over and over and over again, this message keeps coming out. There is only one God. There is no other. It's only him. But he doesn't stop there. In First Kings chapter 8, And verse 60. And so that all the peoples of the earth may know that Yahweh is God, there is no other. Over and over and over again. Go back to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 21. Speak up and present your case. Yes, let them take counsel together who predicted this long ago. Who announced it from ancient times? Was it not I, Yahweh? There is no other God but me. A righteous God and Savior. There is no one except me. He goes on chapter 46 and verse 9. He says, Remember what happened long ago, for I am God and there is no other I am God and there is no one like me. You say, well, what's the point of just saying the same verse over and over and over and over again so that we get it in our heads? Because we can get so distracted by everything else that's going on. I wonder, if we were to put together a list of ten things that we want to accomplish in the next year, what would they be? What would they be? Just think about it, just for a minute. Take 10 seconds. What might be on that list of 10 things you want to accomplish this year? What's on your list? Now ask yourself the question. Do any of those goals have to do with drawing closer to God? Learning more of His Word? spending more time in prayer, sharing him more with others. That's tough. But if we're not here on this earth for those reasons, what on earth are we here for? Is it just to have a good life? Is it just to grow old and have some grandkids to spoil? Is it just to have a decent job and get a decent position to earn the camaraderie of friends and Maybe the uh, positions of clout. What are we here for? If not to know more of God. And he over and over, chapter after chapter, book after book, says, I'm one, the only. I'm God. There is no one else. Why does he keep saying that over and over and over again? 
Because we as humans have a tendency to forget. And we need the reminders that he's constantly giving to basically say, look back to me, look back to me, look back to me. There is no one else. Well, in the beginning, God. And God still is. So who is the creator? He's the one and the only. He's the first, the last. He's the beginning and the end. He desires for us to be a part of his life. He wants us to know that he's the one and only. So how should we respond to this one? Well, just a couple more passages. Mark chapter 12, if you would turn there. Mark chapter 12. Familiar passage, but beginning with verse 29. He says, this is the most important, Jesus answered. You know the... Actually, if you go back to verse 20, he says, One of the scribes approached, and when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, Which command is the most important of all? He says, This is the most important, Jesus answered. Listen, Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I wonder who of us can truly say that. That I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my being, I love God. But that's a powerful statement to claim, isn't it? That's powerful. Because then we look at the word love as a decision that results in an action. And he says this in, throughout the Gospels, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commands. So by our obedience and our keeping of the commands, does it prove our love for God? Hopefully it does, right? Hopefully it does. But if it doesn't, that means we got work to do. We have some things to change. Maybe we got to reprioritize some things in our life. Because what we give our attention to proves who we love. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So we put our investment and our time, our energy, our efforts into those things that we love. Does those things include God? Or is it just the things of this life? Then God reminds us that the things of this life, 1 John 2, 15-17, for all that is in this world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And then he reminds us, verse 17, that the things of this world are going to what? Pass away. Two things span the test of time, the Word of God and the souls of men. What are we investing in? Where does our time, energy, efforts go? But he goes on and says, The second is, Love thy neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. I mean, isn't that amazing right there? Just stop right there for a minute. You are right. So he tells them, he goes, so You have to do this. You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the scribe goes, You're exactly right. I mean, can you imagine that happening in most churches across America too this morning? Hey, you know, church, you need to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, preacher, you're right. We should do that. But as we go out the back door, what changes? Can you imagine they're having this conversation with Jesus Christ himself? I mean, because I know that because the words are red. I mean, I know that. So I read the red, the, I read the red letters. So I know that Jesus said this, and they all of a sudden the conversation is over, and they go their separate ways. And they did exactly what Jesus told them to do, right? <laughs> of course they did. This is in the Bible. No, no. So, look at this. You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him. 
and to love him with all your heart, and with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than the burnt offerings and sacrifices. You are right, Jesus. I mean, you. what can we say? Better than our offerings, better than our sacrifices, you are right. And when Jesus saw that he answered intelligently, he said to them, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. Ouch. Wasn't quite as they thought, was it? I think sometimes we can be real critical when we're in the same boat. We know far more than what we do. And that's important that we not, he says, because if we know and don't do, we make ourselves a hypocrite and a liar. Don't be just be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word, lest you deceive yourselves. So we need to take a step back to who the one is that we should be following. Because he said there is no one else. There is nothing else, if we could put it that way. In John chapter 17, my fingers are not working today. John 17, verse 3. says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. So we know that he's the one. What should we do with the one? Accept him as the one. No one else. So well, I've done that. Then what has changed in our life as a result of that? What is, what is paramountly different because we follow the one and the only? First Timothy chapter 2. In verse 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus himself, human who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. There's one. There's not many ways. There's only one way. One. James chapter 2. And verse 15. It says, If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food... No, that's not the verse. James 2. Well, let me find it. Not that one. Sorry about that. Can't read my own writing sometimes. Here's the deal. God gives us opportunities to know him. He knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the things that are distracting us. He knows the things that are getting our focus off of him and onto other things. And the bottom line is, I wonder how often we allow those things to continue. Allow those things to continue to take up space, to take up time, to take up energy when we know that they're not what's best for us. God has so much more for us. And yet we don't allow him to have first place. We don't allow him to continue to reign on the throne of our lives. He's the one and only. He's the one that gets all of our attention. But I want to close with this one verse. 
In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, There is no other name, no other name, given among men, whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus. You say, well, Pastor, well, most of us here are here every week. We see each other. We know each other. We've known each other for many years. And probably, Pastor, most of us are, are saved. Maybe most of us would agree with each other. We know Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with him. And I would challenge you this way. Only you and God know if you have a relationship with him. The person next to me, the person on the other side of me, the person behind me, the person in front of me, I may think they're saved. I may think that they are walking with Jesus. But I learned many years ago, there's a lot of things that happen behind closed doors that no one else will ever know about. So easy to come to church every week, Bible in hand, ask the question, Hey, how's it going? Pat answer. Fine, great, good, wonderful, hunky-dory, yeah, we're all good. But if truth be known, there's brokenness, hurt, frustration, anxiety, financial problems, physical problems, things that no one else knows about, but God knows about it. And there is a solution. He says, I am God. I'm the one, the only. And yet we try to solve it our own way. And it doesn't work. We can put on a show. We can look good. But truth be known is we're hurting. We're distant. Far from God. And he's saying, I'm here. He says, I'm the great one. And why does he say this? I'll say it over and over again. From generation to generation to generation. From this book to this book to this book to this book. To this people to this people to this people. And he keeps telling everybody. He keeps reminding them that I am the one. Why? Because he's the answer. He's the answer. No one else. And until we get that through our heads, we're going to keep going through the cycles. Remember Israel? <laughs> Let's not go there. But over and over and over again, a vicious cycle. And God continuously reminds them, oh, hello, I'm here. And we need that reminder. He says, I am the one. I'm the one and only. There is no one else. It's me. So my challenge you this morning is, if you've forgotten who the one is, draw close to him once again. Don't let distance, don't let fear, don't let anything come between you and God. And if you don't know him, there is no greater joy, no greater decision you could ever possibly make in this life than to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's the greatest decision you will ever make to know him. So well, people will be embarrassed if I, if I say I don't know him. And the problem with that is right who cares I think most people would be excited that you want to know Jesus especially in God's house but if you're here today and you don't know Jesus that's where it starts God says I'm the one and only you can search in a lot of different areas you can try to find joy and fulfillment in a lot of different areas but you'll only find it in me that's it so if you don't know him 
I'd invite you to know him today. I'd love nothing more than to share that with you. But if you do know him, where in the list of priorities does he fit? Is he on the Sunday slot? Because that's what you do on Sundays. Or is he on the Sunday through Saturday slot? Every day of the week, it's a piece of the pie. And not just Monday through, or Saturday, Sunday through Saturday, but throughout the day, spending time with him, being in communication with him, taking time to hear his heart for us, and taking time to respond to him and what he shared with us through prayer. Where does he fit? Maybe he hasn't been fitting. Maybe that's part of the problem for some of you. He's got to get back in the priority list.